All right, so we are <clears throat> have been in a series on prayer, and I want to talk about when you're suffering and facing adverse situations in your life and all kinds of evils and difficulties and hardship. Uh, this is a house of healing, and so this is a place where you can come when you're struggling or going through hardship, difficulties, or suffering. If we're doing things right, this is a house of comfort. This is a place where people can come and experience Jesus and find the strength and the help that they need in the midst of difficult times. Not everybody in this house will be in that spot, and a lot of us should be getting healed and getting stronger so that we can bring comfort and life to other people. But we always remember what God has brought us from. You never forget what God has brought you out of. You remember how good the Lord is. And you remember that no matter how hard your situation was, his love never failed you, and it never will. And so I'm giving you, Amber obviously just gave her so much of her own heart, gave you so much of her own heart, but I want to give you also my heart and how I handle suffering and hardship and adversity, in particular in the context of prayer. And I want to start off with the scripture from James chapter 5, verse 13. One of the greatest things that I can do for you is not always lay hands on you and pray for you. Sometimes what you don't need is another prayer line, another altar call, another prayer hotline, another Facebook prayer request. Because the greatest thing that I could do as a shepherd and a pastor for you is not always have you dependent on me or someone else, but have you dependent upon him. You've got to learn to come to the place where you can approach God and you know that he's approachable and that he loves you and he's not angry and telling you you made your bed now lie in it. He sympathizes with your weakness. He sympathizes with your hardships because he overcame it himself. That's Hebrews 4.16. He's approachable. Now, how we approach him is important and it's important that you understand God does want to be approached a certain way. Now, he does take you as you are in your brokenness. He does take you in your complaining and your struggles and walling around in the muck and the mud. One of the best things that Jesus does is he fixes broken. Okay, he rescues. He's a rescuer. And sometimes you're in a situation that was really no causing of your own. Somebody else did something tragic to you. You were raised in a horrible home life situation. Somebody abused you, somebody came against you, somebody slandered you, you got stabbed in the back, you, your best friend betrayed you, an, uh, an ex-spouse cheated on you. I don't know what the story is that you've been through, but whatever, however hard your story is, sometimes you really didn't have any part to play in it. It happened to you. But then there are these other times where we did a double backflip, beautiful swan dive right into our sin. And you have to take, you have to own it. And say, you know what? I opened the door. I bombed it. It was totally my fault. I did what I know I shouldn't have done. Anybody? But I got great news for you. Whatever situation it is, God understands it can still rescue out of it. Rescue you out of it. Because the Bible is full of God rescuing his people in the midst of distress and failures that was their choosing. One of the greatest examples of that is Psalm 107. Now, I'm not going to read it to you today, but I know it really well. You know why I know it so well? If you read Psalm 107, go read it. Get, know this psalm really well. Let me summarize the whole psalm for you. Israel sells themselves to harlotry, prostitution, and idolatry, 
And so God brings adverse situations to their life, hardship, pain, struggles. They just bomb it and they find themselves in major distress. So they cry out to the Lord and he rescues them and things get better. They're praising God. Everything's awesome. But once things got better, they forgot what happened and they slowly reverted back to the bad lifestyle. And as they reverted back to doing the things that were contrary to God's heart, guess what happens? Hardship, adversity, major drama, major trauma, all kinds of situations in the, in the, uh, in the nation of Israel's life. And what do they do? They cry out to God. And what does he do? He re Read the song. This happens seven times. It's this whole pattern of I bombed it, I blew it, I cried out, he rescued me, things got better, I forgot, I bombed it, I blew it, I cried out, and it's, it's this circular pattern of constantly failing and God rescuing. So what I know is, as long as you have breath and Jesus hasn't returned for the second time, you have another chance. That's what I know. Isaiah 55 says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Come and buy wine and milk and honey and cheese with money that you, that there's no price. It's your life. Make the exchange. And that's what Amber was saying is that you have to make the exchange. You can't buy what God has to offer. You can only forsake all. And at some point, you get it. At some point, you're so tired of ashes and beating your head against a wall and realizing you can't do it and, do it on your own, that you finally surrender and forsake all for good. Right? That's Psalm 107. But I love this psalm, or this verse in James 5.13. It says, is anybody here suffering? And if you are suffering, let him pray. Because there comes a point where you can't ride on the coattails of the pastor. You can't ride on the coattails of your neighbor. You can't ride on the coattails of your mama. You can't ride on the coattails of the next strongest Christian that raised you and grew you up. Because God wants you and you alone. And at some point, you have to get with him personally and privately. Jesus had a habit of retreating to a solitary place by himself to come before the Lord and encounter the Father and his presence privately. The problem is most of us don't know how to do that. Or we think God's angry. God, you can't approach him because of shame, failures, mistakes. God wants you to approach him even more. That's why Jesus died on the cross. It's called the good news or the gospel of the kingdom. The deceptive lie of the enemy is to get your eyes focused on your problems and your issues. Am I the only one that is so tired of looking at my problems and my issues? They're always around me. David said it in Psalm 51, my iniquity is always, always around me and, and surrounding me and speaking to me. But you've got to come to the place where you get your eyes on the solution and stop focusing on all the issues and problems in your life. And I love this particular verse because it has this contrast. Suffering, you pray. Cheerful, sing a psalm. But I want to tell you something about this that I learned a long time ago. I learned to worship and praise him and sing no matter what I'm facing because I've been through so much adversity and have overcome so much that I learned stay the course emotionally in my worship and stop being moved by my emotions and how I feel or my circumstance. 
And then you finally learn, I'm going to worship him before my breakthrough. Come on, guys. I pray, I wish you'd never go through a hardship, a difficulty, a crisis, or tragedy, or trauma. I wish that would happen. But that's not the case. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart. Because I've overcome the world. And so what I understand is, I believing confidently, I don't have to go through any more crisis situations like hurricanes or the loss of a child. I'm believing that. And I, I fully agree with God that I won't have to. But no matter what situation comes, no matter what storms of life come, now, today, it's me dealing more with other people's drama and trauma because I'm called to do that. It's mom spinning out on drugs with little kids and it's abusive spousal situations and it's the most worst of worst things that I wouldn't, can't even tell you that weighs on me so heavy. And then it's all kinds of personal struggles and trials and challenges. All of us go through it. So what I've learned is, number one, when all kinds of evil and adversity and hardship is around me, that's the word suffering. This isn't sickness suffering. That comes in a few verses from now. In a few verses, James would say, is anybody sick among you? Call for the elders. And if you have any ought against each other, make sure that you have forgiveness in your heart. Confess your sins to one another. And he says, call for the elders to anoint you with oil because the prayer of the faith will save the sick. But this is particularly talking about demonic forces and hardship and adversity and all kinds of issues surrounding your life. And I have been there many, many times. Now what happens when it starts happening, I go, ah, I already know what I'm going to do now. I'm talking crazy stuff happening around my life, weird stuff. Major demonic activity has happened around my life, and then stuff starts breaking, springs start popping, weird stuff starts happening. People start, and it's like, Holy, what more could happen right now? <laughs> and then I go, Because I have learned, don't just wait for your breakthrough to be cheerful. It's easy to sing psalms when you're cheerful. It's easy when everything's going your way. And let me tell you something. If when God brings the breakthrough, when God brings the new job or the finances or the restoration of the marriage or the restoration of a child, everything you're believing and praying for, never forget where it came from. Stay the course all the days of your life and don't be a crisis Christian. God, God takes Christ as Christians, though. Psalm 107. That was my past, okay? I was a mess as a Christian early on. Crisis, nonstop, running to God, rescue me. I bombed it, I blew it, I sinned, I failed. He'll pull you out again, doesn't he? He's a God of a million chances. That's why you never give up on that family member, or that neighbor, or that person, or that congregant that you've been ministering to, you never give up. And it doesn't mean that you don't show tough love and set good boundaries, but you never give up because he never gave up on you. To whom who's been given much, you love much. To who's been forgiven much, you love much. We give grace because we've been shown grace. We give mercy because I've received mercy. Understand? And so if you're suffering or going through hardship, any kind, what does it say? Let him pray. 
That's why so many times, and today I'm going to get you to pray a prayer. I'm going to lead you through it, but I got to get you to start praying for yourself. Now, this word prayer means to come into agreement with what God is thinking, saying, and doing, and I'm communing in constant, I've been teaching you this for weeks. It's constant communion. I'm full-time, all the time, online, spiritually. My Wi-Fi is always on. Okay, I don't have a spotty Wi-Fi anymore. All right? And I'm getting a signal. And I'm in constant communion. And now what's happening as you mature, you come out of crisis, crying out, rescue, and now you start to come to him and you hear him and you start to get an alignment and agreement with what he's saying and doing in your life. So you don't start doing it your way, you do it his way. Or you stop doing it your way and you do it his way. So if you're going through a hardship, you've got to learn how to pray for you together with him, one-on-one. And then you've got to learn to sing psalms all the time. I didn't play percussion today because I felt like the Lord said, I want you to come down here with all the people and sing. By the way, worship was awesome. Mark, Nathan, the team, worship was phenomenal today. Thank you for crying out the way you did. Because I was joining and crying out myself. Now, I'm not a very good singer, but here's the thing with God. He doesn't really care if you're a good singer. He just wants you to sing because something is so powerful about singing. Let me tell you what happens when I sing. First thing is I get a little bit self-conscious, okay? Even in worship, I'm like, okay, because I'm a pretty extravagant. I'm a high extrovert, so I'm like bubbly, joyous. I mean, my shout is a shout, whereas some of you introverts, it's like cry out. Jesus, Jesus, that's your shout, right? That's my wife's, my wife shouts like that, Jesus. But here's the thing, that's still a shout. It's not, it's, God cares about the heart, motive, and position. It doesn't have to look like me or anybody else. I, don't, I had to come to the place where I don't care what it looks like anymore. I'm desperate, and I'm not here to please anybody but to encounter the living God. Do you understand? And I'm in such desperate need because sometimes my world is so dark. Sometimes everything seems so jacked up. I don't feel good. I don't want to be here. My flesh is, is raging. I feel sick sometimes. And everything in me is like, just stay home. Just go to bed. I feel the, the knock of depression trying to keep me back. And I have learned through many, 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 many years, many years, when I feel that way, I know the answer is to run to the house of God and worship. I know the answer is to lift my voice and cry out. I know the devil wants me to be silent. I know he does. But I can't be passive. I can't be silent. I don't live in a world of I hope so's and maybes. That's what Amber was talking about. It's like, look, she still had to declare and agree even when she wasn't seeing it because she trusted God. And ultimately, God in his timing and in his way came through. He, his word is true whether you believe it or not. Did you know that? His word is inherently truth. It, I have no say or I can't put any condition. What God said is true. It re does not return to him void, but accomplishes that which he set it out to accomplish. So when he says, I trade beauty for ashes, 
I've got to say, okay, I know you do it, so here's my ashes. I bombed it, I failed it, I, I messed it up, everything seems burned down, but God, I'm giving it to you, and I'm trusting you will make all things beautiful again. And in fact, before you make it beautiful, I'm going to worship. Before it even happens, I'm going to sing. You see, when I come in here, I'm not dancing or singing or crying out because everything's been so perfect in my life. That's the deceptive lie. So what could, I have two choices. When I come in here, or even in my personal life, I can make the choice, things are just blowing up everywhere, hardship, suffering, difficulty, and I can choose to pull back and be silent and sit still, or I can choose to rise up and say, you know what? I'm gonna worship you in the midst of my most difficult situation, and I'm gonna trust you now before the breakthrough even, because it's easy to praise him in the breakthrough. It's easy to praise him when your promise happens. But how about when you do it before? How about when you do it when you're waiting in a place of waiting? So if you're going through a hardship, you've got to learn how to pray on your own. Think about this. I'm not going to teach it to you. I may teach it in this series, but I know Luke 22 pretty good. Starting at verse 39, Jesus takes the disciples. This is after the, la the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper. Right before he's arrested, he takes them to the Mount of Olives. He takes the disciples to the Mount of Olives in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he says to them, you wait here and pray that you don't enter into temptation. So what he's saying is, be proactive in your prayer life. The devil's going to try to tempt you. You already know the devil's going to try to tempt you. Come on, guys. We're not ignorant to his wiles. He's going to do whatever he can to trip you up. So be proactive in your prayer life. Pray in advance of situations. And then he says, you wait here. I'm going to go about a stone's throw away, and I am going to pray by myself. And the Bible says he wrestled and prayed in agony where his, his tears were like, drops of blood, and he even said, God, if this cup can pass from me, let it pass, but never the will, nevertheless, let your will be done. And that's how you pray in the midst of difficult situations. Verse 53 in Luke 22 says that the power of darkness was present to kill and destroy. Sometimes even Jesus was surrounded by the power of darkness to kill and destroy. And what did he do? It says he cried out, he prayed even more fervently and earnestly, and then you know what that scripture says? An angel came and ministered to him. How many of you would like an angel come and minister to you? I sure would. I'm like, send the angels, Lord. I could really use one right now. <clears throat> but see, until you get to that place where you can get solitary and cry out to the living God and give him your heart just as you are, and to pray fervently on your own, you may not experience that kind of comfort. Sing psalms. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing songs. Psalms. The word sing psalms actually means to pluck out or to pull out or to hit, causing a vibration, or to pluck a string or to play a guitar. Now, I'm not a very good guitar player. I can't sing very good either. Amber's like, you really can't sing. I'm like, I'm going to sing a little louder then. You think I can't sing? And I'm just, she's like, You're, so you got like one tone. I'm like, who cares? 
I got a voice box. I'm going to use it, right? I'm sitting like I'm in the shower, you know? And so I got a guitar, a little Martin guitar. I haven't played it very much lately because I've got to keep, I don't have any calluses on my fingers again, and my nails are too long. And I only know G, C, D, E, and A, which is basically every worship song ever written. <laughs> and I'm like, G, C, D. And then I start, I'm like, every rose has, a, wait a minute, not poison. I'm singing worship songs. I'm like, this sounds just like that song. I'm right out of the 80s, guys. I don't know what to tell you. <clears throat> don't come before the Lord singing a poison song. Whatever you do, okay? <laughs> but the thing is, is like I, pick, I play drums and congas and percussion. I'm, I like beating on things and the vibrations and the sounds. And what God is saying is make melody however you make melody. And the best thing about all of us that we have in common is we all have a voice box. You all have an instrument right in your throat. Sing to the Lord. What happens when you sing is that as I lift my voice louder, somebody said it was Nathan or you or somebody said like, sing louder than your problem. Because my problem's always before me. That's what David said, my transgression's always before me. So if that's always before me, my voice, I'm going to raise my voice louder. And so I start singing louder. And as I sing, suddenly all the other voices become silent around me. Because I'm forcing myself to not think or listen to the problems or the cares or the struggles. But now I'm taking my eyes off myself. Many times I pray, God, deliver me of me. I'm tired of listening to the voices inside my head. I want to hear your voice. So I start declaring in song. I cannot begin to tell you how important singing is to the Lord. You have an entire worship manual in your Bible. The Old Testament Psalms is the New Testament worship manual. Learn to take those Psalms and make them personal and sing them Make melodies in your heart. It's making a melody to the Lord because it forces you to get your eyes off you and to get them upon him. Do you understand? Don't just sing when you come to church. There's so much great worship music out there. And I find, I love finding, I have lots of worship music that I like to listen to. I have Pandora, Spotify, Apple Music. I have all these different channels you know, I pay for the monthly subscription because I like listening to the newest worship that comes out. I follow a lot of different artists. I like to listen to a lot of instrumental worship with no singing because I like to add my own words and I hum and sing to it. Now, I'm in my truck by myself. I'm in the shower by myself because you really probably don't want to hear me singing, you know, the way I do privately. I do that sometimes here, but that's where I'm like, turn the volume up, Mark. Turn the volume up. Right? And so what I'm doing is I'm releasing the sound and the song inside of me, giving to God my life. What he really wants is you. He's not caught off guard by your struggles and your challenge and your problems or your suffering or how bad it's got or what you did. He's seen it for thousands and thousands of years. So he says, come to me and trust me and give it up. Make the exchange and worship me. Sing the song and make melody in your heart. All right? So pray and worship. Prayer and worship is so vital and important in the midst of your most difficult times. Don't shrink back. 
Don't stay in shame. Don't go into solita solitary confinement. Don't find yourself hidden in solitude. Come out into the light. Nothing grows in the dark. Keep everything in the light, okay? You got, you got that? All right. Now, in the context of suffering, which is affliction, if anybody's being afflicted, pray. Let me tell you what 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 says. It says, endure affliction and suffering as a good soldier. You need endurance. Romans chapter 5 says, if you're suffering, that suffering leads to perseverance. You know what perseverance means? I overcame because I didn't give up. I stayed the course. That's why I teach you guys so many times that God is in the overcoming. Your life grows in the overcoming. Going through the difficult, hard times, if you respond right and overcome it, look at the strength and resilience that's come out of my wife through that situation. She speaks, she blogs, she writes, she picked up watercoloring, and now a beautiful book in honor of Eden's life has come out. It transformed her life because she responded right. You understand? So as a good soldier, you got to endure. You have need of endurance. You have need of endurance. And then, of course, I love Psalm 40, verse 1. I love this psalm. I'm going to read you the first three verses. But first, let me explain the context. King David is in a horrible pit in his life, major despair, the darkest of the darkest situation. In fact, he describes it as a horrible pit, and he says, I was stuck in the mud, the muck, and the miry clay. Now, I liken that unto quicksand. Now, I've never actually fallen into quicksand, but I remember the old Western movies when I was a kid. I never wanted to fall in quicksand. But I have waded out in duck hunting season into the flats in really, really muddy flats with waders on, and I sink all the way down to my waist, and then my waders would get full of mud and water, and I'm paralyzed and immovable. That's the closest I can relate it to here in South Texas. You're stuck. Do any of you feel stuck in a miserable situation or hardship or suffering or affliction in your life? And if you do, look at David's response. Because he says, look, I'm stuck in a horrible pit. He says, so I waited patiently. Now let me tell you about waiting patiently. This word waiting patiently doesn't mean I was a, a couch potato Christian. It doesn't mean that I was given into passive resignation. There's no laissez-faire Christianity. There's no, the chips will fall where the chips will fall. I'm stuck. Let it be, let it be. Singing the Beatles song, let it be, let it be. We're not singing let it be back to the Lord. What we're doing is coming in agreement because this word waiting patiently, if you research this word, these two words waiting patiently, here's what it means. It means to draw close to, to come close to, and to entwine yourself together with. Think of two bread ties being twisted together. Think of an interwoven blanket or a beautiful tapestry woven together. Think of two wires, electrical wires that you're splicing and you're wrapping together. That's what it means with the Lord. So David's saying, I waited patiently with expectancy that you would do something. I, I fully had confident faith that God would deliver me out of my situation 
and I'm going to cry out to the Lord. He heard my cry. This word cry literally means <clears throat> to halloo. Remember that word, halloo? I taught you that one before. To halloo means, it's like when I was a kid, I grew up on a ranch. We had horses and 32 acres. And a lot of times the horses would be on the backside of the ranch and it was time to feed the horses morning and night. So we would walk out, my dad and I, and we'd go, yee, yee, woo, woo. I would halloo to them and they'd go, they knew that that was the food call. I'm hallooing and it's ultimately where we got the word hello. Hi, as a greeting, right? So what I'm doing is I'm not staying silent. I don't care if your shout is, it's not that extreme. I know Amber, Amber's a little more passionate than that. Right. But I'm making an extreme point. The point is, is you wait patiently with expectant hope that God will do something and you get off your rear end and make something happen together with him. We're co-laborers. We're co-workers with God. He wants us to stand on his word and come into agreement with his promises. We're heads, not tails. And when you're born again, you have a full-grown Jesus living inside of you. Not a little bitty seven-pound baby Jesus. You don't have a part of Jesus. You have all of Jesus living inside of you. You just have to discover that all authority in heaven and earth that was given to him is inside of you. I have to learn that. Now that takes time. You know how I learn it? Overcoming. It's, in, it's when my faith is tried and tested that it becomes refined like pure gold. And some of you, your faith is being tried and tested. And God's saying, wait patiently and believe that God will incline his ear to you. Look at the next verse. Psalm 40, verse two. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and what did he do? This understanding of God setting your feet on a rock and establishing your steps is this. When I used to be like a wave tossed about in the sea by every circumstance of life, feeling like I had no control and I was at the mercy to the storm, now my feet are on, a, on the rock. Now I'm not in a rough harbor without a lighthouse about to crash into the rocks. I'm in a safe harbor and I actually become a lighthouse. You are the light of the world. He rescues you so when the other ships are headed to disaster, you can rescue them. You become a beacon of light for them. He establishes your steps. He brings stability to your life. Jesus brings stability to your life. And if your life is unstable, you desperately need him. But I love this next verse, verse three. He's put a new song in my mouth. One of my favorite things to do in worship is what we did today is when we just kind of go off the song itself and we start to spontaneously sing. And then I'm just releasing this song and this sound and I start praying in the spirit and I start humming and, and all this comes out of me that's so, and I'm just suddenly caught away into another dimension. Now I'm not in the dimension of this earth, but I'm caught up into him because I'm singing a new song to the Lord. I'm gonna show you that in just a moment. So he's put a new song. What is the song? It's not Sweet Home Alabama. I know y'all can sing it word for word. I understand. And that may make you feel good for a moment. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about, I'm now declaring in a song, praise to the Lord. 
That's why I listen to so much different worship music. A lot of the stuff we have here, I have all these, so I'll go get with the Lord, and I'll put on some worship music. I just sing. Last week, as we were moving, we just moved into this house, okay? It's an old 1940s farmhouse. It, it needed all new septic, all new electrical. It's got holes in the floor. It's got carpenter ants everywhere walking around in the house. I mean, it, it's like, a, it's a desolate place that we will turn into a fruitful garden. Okay? So it's going to take a lot of work. And so there was poop flooding out in the, in the grass. There was backed up sewer lines. And Joe's like, you're going to have to get up under that house, remove all, that, all those boards and crawl up under there, remove all that insulation. And I'm like, I don't have any more money to pay a plumber. I guess I'm going to figure out how to fix this thing. And so I'm crawling up under there in the house, and lines are backed up, and there's all this quirky, crazy, weird stuff happening, and it's just wild. And I'm going through all kinds of difficult things. A lot of adversity was happening here at the church. Some people were spinning out. A couple said that they were leaving, and all that stuff hurts my heart, okay? And I was carrying a lot of weight on me, and I had so much stuff to do. Things were everywhere. I think the worst thing in the world is moving. I hate moving more than anything else. More than anything else, I'm telling you. I, well, the devil I hate first. Then moving is real a close second. <laughs> so stuff scattered everywhere, right? We got remodeling work going on, and it's not, nothing's that bad. But I'm just, like, busy, and I have all these things that have to get done. And I'm at my max, and as I'm doing things, I hear the Lord said, you're going to spend time with me today? I said, yeah, Lord, right after I finish this. And the Lord said, ah, remember Matthew 22, when I invited my servants and my people to the wedding banquet, and they said, let me go take care of my farm and my business first. I'm like, I, dro I dropped what I was doing. I got in my truck. I went over under the bridge because I, I don't like four walls and offices personally. Okay? Now, I do like my closet. You find God anywhere. But for me, I like a water view office. That's why I have my truck. So I go get in my truck, and I go over, and I get under the bridge, and I'm like frazzled. I'm max. I feel like I'm not hearing God. I don't feel any peace. It's just a real struggle. I'm really weighed down by some situations happening here as a pastor. I can't tell you, but really weighed down. So I go, and I get under the bridge, and I park under the bridge and within about a minute I just start bawling my eyes out and I cry and I cry and I cry and I cry and I got worship music on and I just cry and I cry and I start crying I'm like God please Lord I need you so much they need you Lord because now more of my weights are shifting from my own life to weights for other people's lives right and so I'm crying I'm just feeling so much weight especially when children are involved when a child's involved it really crushes my heart I mean more than anything else and so I just cried, and I wept with the Lord, and I wept, and I wept with the Lord, and then God reminded me of Psalm 18. I'm going to go off right now if you can follow me, okay? God reminded me while I was sitting there of Psalm 18. I want to show you something that was not in my notes, verse 6. Psalm 18, verse 6. Actually, verse 5. We're going to start with verse 5, and then we're going to read verse 6. Then we'll jump to 16 and 18. I'm just giving you what God does in me today, okay? This is what I'm going through right now. 
So I open up Psalm 18, verse 5, and I was also thinking about this weekend in the book and the loss of Eden. Though the sorrows of Sheol surrounded me and the snares of death confronted me, verse 6. In my distress, who's distressed? You've got to learn to cry out to the Lord. God, I'm crying out in desperation for you. I'm not going to be silent, even when my flesh is saying, you don't have to be so loud. And there's times I'm sitting in my truck, nobody can hear me, and I shout, and I'm looking around, Who's, is somebody watching me? I'm like, but Because we can be so self-conscious. You've got to get past that thing. And so I start crying out to the Lord, and what did God do? He heard my voice from his temple. My cry came before him, even to his ears. What he wants is authenticity. Next verse, I'm sorry, jump to verse 16. What did he do? So he sent from above, and he drew me out. He draws you out. That word to be drawn out is he threw a life preserver when you were drowning, and you were underneath, and he pulled you up out of it, and he rescued you, saved you, and delivered you. Now look at verse 18. Verse 19. This is a promise for all of you. He takes you and puts you into a broad place. Some of you feel like you're in a closed-in place right now, don't you? But mark my words. From the prison cell and the streets and nothing, God in his kindness and his mercy loves every one of us. And a broad place doesn't just mean you got land or you got a ranch or you got stuff. It means that God expands you because he loves you, not because of how good you were. What God does is he expands your understanding and he broadens your life. Yes, does he bless you? Yes. But it's going to look different for each of us. But the point is, is never stop believing for the promises of God for your life because he brings you into a broad place and he delivered you because you were so good. He doesn't say that. He delivered you because you'd read your Bible enough. You did everything right. You went to church today. Doesn't say that. He delivered you because the number one reason why he delights. Everybody say this. We say, he delights in me. You got to see that the Lord loves you and delights in you. You got to pro- get a proper perspective of how much God loves you. You're not that good. I'm not that good. Seriously, I don't get to take credit. He did it because he loves me. He loves you. Do you understand? He loves you. He cares about you. Let me show you Psalm 100. Psalm 100 is five verses. And I'm just giving you stuff I already know. Psalm 100 is five verses. It is incredibly powerful. It starts out by saying, make a joyful shout to the Lord. Now, shouting is biblical. I know it's offensive. I know some of you are like, man, did he have to shout like that? Yes, it's in the Bible. I'm going to shout. If you look up this word shout in the Hebrew, you know what it means? Shout! Come on, guys. We're not passive, sissy, weak, half-hearted, silent Christians. 
We're warriors in the kingdom of God. And what he does is he gives you, a, it's like, you know what? All hell may be breaking loose against your life. I mean, you may be going through the hardest situation you've ever, ever been through right now. I challenge you in the midst of your adversity to shout with joy to the Lord before your breakthrough ever comes and to not be silent. Let's try it. Oh, we're going to make some flesh. Let's just make your flesh mad right now. Oh, I know your flesh doesn't want to shout. I know it's very, especially for you introverts. I get it. But let's let out a shout on three. One, two, three. Yeah! Okay, you didn't shout. I saw you. Don't think you're going to get away from it. I'm going to be looking at all y'all. A shout is a shout. Now, you can't give me one good reason to not shout. Not one. At least that'll be justifiable in my book and his book. Because you're going to see in this psalm, this psalm is so powerful. It starts out with, make a joyful shout to the Lord. All you lands means all you earth and all the peoples of the earth. It means all y'all. Thank you. All y'all. You guys ready? One more time on a shout on three. One, two, three. Yeah! Woo! Come on, doesn't that feel so good? This is the verse, guys. Look at this. So if I'm going to come before his presence, how does God want me to come? Shouting, singing, uh, thankfulness, all those things. But look at this. Come before his presence with singing. That's why we start our services here, and typical church does, with song. Right? Now, what needs to happen is when worship starts, number one, if we can get everybody to be on time, that would be a miracle. <laughs> Let's just start with that. Number two... I need, it's important, and I need all of us together as a congregation. Don't let shame, failures, mistakes hold you back. Something powerful happens when you lift your voice and sing, and especially when all of us does it together. The Bible says the Lord inhabits the praises of, or is enthroned on the praises of his people. And what I'm saying to you is, for me, worship time's not about me. Now, God has this unique way of making it about me. It's about, it doesn't take very long. Okay, God, I'm, gonna, I'm coming to you. It's not about me. I start worshiping the Lord. And just in about a few minutes, he starts speaking to me about my life. And then he, then he starts having me come into agreement and declare and sing over my life and my future. Instead of staying stuck in the mud, my song becomes a cry out. This is a worshiping church. This is an extravagant church. This isn't a quiet denominational church. We're not Church of Christ. I'm not knocking any other church. We have loud guitars and instruments and vocals and singing and extravagance. It's biblical. That's how God hardwired me. Let's come in before his presence with singing, verse 3. Recognize that God is God and you're not. He made you and you can't make yourself. Let's everybody say this together. I can't make myself. That's the thing with Anthony Robbins, Tony Robbins. No. It's all about reinventing and making yourself who you think, who you want to be. No. I'm going to make 
I'm going to allow myself to be who God wants me to be because I'm his son, and he knows way better than I do. My intellect is subject to his lordship. There's no self-help. Let me give you the best self-help, worship. Let me give you the best self-help. He's God. You're not. He made you. You didn't make yourself. And I'm the sheep in his pastor, and he's the shepherd. The Lord, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I will not lack for anything. So I start standing on God's word, and I realize, hey, he's papa. I'm son. I'm in agreement. He wants to teach me and work with me, but he knows what's best. I have complete lordship, verse 4. How do I come? I've had this vision so many times in worship, Mark, so many times, of these giant 20, 30-foot-tall ancient doors in heaven, ancient doors. And I've had this vision where I'm, when I'm playing drums, I can see myself coming up to the doors, and they open up. And I'm expressing my gratitude of thankfulness. I'm coming into his gates being thankful first. Let me say this to you. When your world is caving in around you and everything seems to be going wrong, it can seem really, really difficult to be thankful, right? But that's the most important time to be thankful. Because there's always something to be thankful for, I promise you. And so sometimes I'm coming in, God, my world is a mess. Everything is going wrong that seems to go wrong. I've bombed it. People are coming against me. I can't pay my bills. These things aren't working in the right. I don't feel good. I'm battling sickness, all these things. But God, I just thank you for how good you are and how much you love me. I thank you that you've never given up on me. I thank you that you've always been there when I've needed you. I thank you that you gave Jesus. You can always find someone to be thankful. I'm thankful, God, that I have breath inside my lungs, even if I'm hacking loogies and I can barely breathe. I'm going to trust you every step of the way and stop being moved by my external circumstances. You may have bombed it and blew it and everything went wrong, and you may have even lost a loved one. But you know what? When we lost Eden, the minute we found out the news after crying oceans and oceans for a couple hours, I called Brad McClendon, and Brad said, look for Jesus. 37 hours we had to wait before we were induced in labor. 37 hours. For those 37 hours, we made a decision. We're going to look for Jesus. And when we went to the, to the hospital room, we got there in the middle of the night. We had to wait through the night while, we, while they worked to induce labor. As soon as the sun came up, we opened up all the blinds. I brought a little Bluetooth player, and I put on repeat the Torwaltz album, Champion, nonstop. And we just started to host God's presence and say, thank you that you're with us in our darkest hour. And if you read Amber's blog, she's blogged the whole story. Jesus, is, she doesn't even hardly remember it now, except for how much God's presence came in the room and carried us and sustained us as we worshiped and we said, thank you, God, in our darkest, darkest hour. You can do it. You can do it, guys. You can do it. And so I see those big giant doors opening up as I'm worshiping or playing the drums or singing to the Lord. And God begins to usher me into his courts as I'm singing praise to him, but I'm expressing gratitude. Because the opposite of gratitude is negativity and complaining. God hates complaining. Please stop complaining. It will keep you from the promised land and kill you. You can always, thankfulness is so critical. 
Thanksgiving is so critical. So now instead of my eyes on my issues and problems, my eyes are on the prize. My eyes are on Jesus. Not my circumstances and situations around my life. And what does he do? He ushers me in. He takes me in to like another dimension. So when I came out from under the bridge, from bawling my eyes out for an hour with the Lord, it was like I'd been totally revitalized. I shared this not long ago. It's like I went in an olive, he pressed me, and I came out olive oil. I was like revitalized, renewed. Suddenly, all my problems and all my situations, one second in his presence, one word from God in the midst of your hardship will change your life and sustain you through the season that you're in. You never give up getting intimate with him, no matter how hard it is. And do not allow yourselves to get preoccupied with the cares of this life. You didn't make yourself. You can't fix yourself. Jesus can fix you, though. Amen? Do you understand? Okay. Verse 5. For the Lord is what? 37 times this is written in the Psalms. For the Lord is what? Sometimes you just have to keep reminding yourself, God, you're good. I don't understand what's happening around me, but Lord, you're good. And your mercy is everlasting, and your truth endures to all generations. You're merciful, you're good, you love me, and you have for generations and generations, and you'll never give up on me. Isaiah 40, whatever I pulled gave you, 28, 29, 31, somewhere around there. Remember Psalm 40, I waited patiently for the Lord. Isaiah 40 goes with it. Look at this. Verse 29, he gives power to the weak. Who's weak here today? He has power for you. Who has no might right now in their life and feels like you want to give up? If you're listening to the lies of suicide and that your life's not valuable, nobody miss you, nobody cares, those are lies and you're without any might. So God comes in that time and what does he do? He'll increase your strength. This is a promise from God. Verse 30. Even, here's the thing. Even young, strong, even Francisco in his strong, he's a, to me, such a strong young man to me. Right? So is Jonathan. There's many others. Josh. I see these strong young men. I'm like, man, they are in the prime of their life in their young strength. Right? And I'm like going to be 50 next year. Sheesh but I'm still going to give them a run for their money. Let me just tell you right now, I am going to give them all I got to the very, there is no retiring. But I'm like, even the, he uses this parallel. You're going through a hard time. Even the youth shall faint and the young men will utterly fall. But look at verse 31. I'm going to put it in context. You are in a brutal, critical, difficult situation with no strength and no might. Let me re rephrase this for you. But those that entwine themselves together with God and draw close to him, patiently wait, what does he do? He'll renew your strength, and then he mounts you. You know what it means to be mounted up on a wings of eagles? Here's what it means. God lifts me up like when I came out of that bridge. Suddenly, I didn't have a care anymore. 
I felt so much better about every situation and circumstance because God renewed me, but he also took me up higher than the cares of this world because you know eagles can see from miles away with pinpoint accuracy, but they also have double vision. They have two eyelids. They can see straight and they can see sideways. So what he does is he lifts you up. This is what this means. You are in the worst situation of your life, but if you will entwine yourself to God, he'll raise you up above the cares of this life and this world and he'll give you proper perspective. Everybody say this with me, please. Lord, give me proper perspective. Help me to see the way you see. You'll mount up on wings of eagles and you will run you will walk, you're not going to grow weary, and you're not going to faint. That's what God wants for your life. Amen? Amen? It's a powerful, powerful block of scriptures. So right now what we're going to do is we're going to pray and we're going to sing. Not just, and don't let this be just a one-time event for you. I'm giving you the depth of the depth inside of me in this series. This is how I live my life daily. Please grab hold of it. This is how Jesus lived his life. Find your thing. Find your spot. God's into spots, guys. Find your spot. If you work in the oil field, find an old country road with a gate somewhere that nobody's around and park. Sit down somewhere. Find your closet. Find your space. Find your place where you can connect with him and lift your voice and sing to the Lord. Find some good worship music. You can get Pandora free. You just have to listen to the commercials. But so what? Make it through that and then find songs and stations and worshipers that you can sing out to the Lord. And when you come to church, sing with everything inside of you. And if you're really broken and really jacked up, sing extra louder. Yeah. It'll shift you. And I say all the time, God, shift me. Shift me, God. And I start to pray and worship now because I don't know what's coming down the line. But I know who's coming down the line. My mailman was delivering mail yesterday. I hadn't met him yet, so I walked out to the street, introduced myself as the new guy that lives there. He handed me a, way too many Amazon boxes. I was manifesting. So we start chatting. He's like, I tell him who I am. He goes, you're a pastor? He goes, what do you think about the gold and the silver and the monetary system and paper money? Isn't it all corrupt? Don't you see it in the end times and we're caught up in this crazy system? I was like, I guess there's some whole movement going on around, and I guess everybody's worried about the mark of the beast and the numbers and the chips. Guys. Let me give you some great advice. Just don't take the mark. I don't know whenever it's coming. may not be in my lifetime. Don't take the mark. I don't know what it's, I don't even, that's not even my concern. I got a great, great, great bigger concern than the monetary system. You know what it is? It's you. And it's you. And it's you. And it's your marriage. And it's your son. And it's your life and your future wife. And it's the kids you're watching out for and the people you're investing into. And it's you becoming the dynamic pastor and leader God's called you to be. And I start going down the line and say, who cares about the stupid money thing? You know what? Follow Jesus and do what Jesus tells you to do. He's not caught off guard. 
And just because we got some land doesn't mean I'm going to become an end-time prepper, though it might be kind of fun. I want to dig a trench and hide in it for a day. Give me some machine guns. I mean, seriously. You know what we are? We're Holy Ghost end-time preppers. Jesus isn't caught off guard, guys. Jesus isn't caught off guard. Get your eyes on him. He's this, I, man, I had such a good conversation. I said, dude, you are consumed by, by the stuff happening in this world. You got to get into the word and hear what God's saying. He's like, yeah, you're right. I'm like, yeah, I wound up ministering him for 20 minutes. It was powerful. He's going to get born again. I'm going to get my mailman born again. Who's with me? You ca- can you guys agree? He's going to come here. And I'm going to show you guys, I'm believing that he's going to give his life to Jesus. That's how it works. You guys ready to sing? Let's all stand up.